God, we, we can read these stories from, from Genesis to Revelation and see your hand at work in moving. And God, we want to see you at work in moving in our lives as well. We pray that today would be a day where we would hear your voice, Lord, where we would respond to your truth, that we would not leave this place the same. That is our prayer. Holy Spirit, as we open your word, would you please open our hearts as well so that we might receive it with joy and with gladness. We look to you, God, and only you for truth. We love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, you guys out there today, worship was awesome, wasn't it? Man, that was so good. So there was a Sunday school teacher who was walking down the hall one, one morning in Sunday school in church. And up ahead, she, she didn't have her class, but up ahead she saw a class sort of walking down the hallway. And as Sunday school teachers have, they've got this sort of spidey sense, right? And this Sunday school teacher sort of sensed, oh no, something's going on. She noticed at the back of this group, a couple little boys, a little girl, and, and she just sensed some trouble. She knew that that teacher couldn't see. These kids were at the end of the line. And sure enough, as she walked up, one of the little kids sort of like elbowed in front of the other kid. And that other kid shoved him back and he fell into a wall. And before you know it, that teacher's running up. Boys, boys, stop, stop this. You've got to stop. You're in church. This is no way. This is just no way for little Christian boys to be behaving. You almost trampled little Faith right here. You almost knocked her into the wall. You almost knocked her teeth out. And these boys, they're sort of like scuffling, you know, looking at their feet ashamed, and I'm sorry, teacher. And one little boy, Timmy, Timmy, it's always Timmy. Timmy spoke up, and he said, we, we were trying to be good Christian boys. Now, how in the world, the teacher said, is it going to be uh, uh, honoring to God to be trampling each other? And, and, and you, you almost injured this girl here. And he said, well, teacher, we just... We had this lesson on 2 Corinthians 5, and our teacher told us that we're not supposed to walk by, by sight, we're supposed to walk by faith, but there's not enough room in the hallway for all of us to walk by her at the same time. <laughs> I made that joke up. I'm really proud of that one. This, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those of you who don't know, <laughs> know me. My name is David. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, I tested that joke out on our creative director, and he giggled a little bit, so I decided it was okay. Uh, our series is called By Faith. By Faith. It's out of Hebrews chapter 11. We're walking through it. Last week was verses 1 through 7. Today, we're going to go through verses 8 through 16. And this idea of faith, it's important, isn't it? It's, it's what we called last week. We said it was foundational to uh, us as Christians. Faith isn't one of those things you can get wrong. We looked at the life of Noah. He was in verses 1 through 7, and we saw that while all of culture walked away from God, Noah recognized that God is God, and that Noah believed in God's promises, and that God granted that to him as righteousness. He said that that was, that was faith. And we came up with a working definition. We've got this working definition, I, I hope, on screen. For those of you who weren't here last week, this is what we said. Faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is and will do all that he said that he will do. Faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is. That's one part of it. 
and that he will do all that he said that he will do. That's the other part. If you have not taken notes yet, if you haven't written this down, if you weren't here last week, you're going to want this definition. So make sure that you write it down. Pull out your phone. We're going to be using this definition all throughout this series. Now, we talked about the importance of examining the foundation, right? Uh, when I was bivocational, we started a business. Me and Jara and some friends here from church, we started a business where we uh, renovate houses and really messed up houses. And one of the things that we learned very quickly is that you want to go as a, as a person looking to buy a house, one of the first places you want to go is down into the, the basement, right? It's gross down there. It's dirty. It's dark. But you need to pull out your flashlight and you need to take a look at the foundation of these houses. You need to see if there's cracks. You need to see if maybe it's shifted a little bit. You need to see if it's sunk down because what you learn quickly is if there's a flaw in the foundation, it's going to reveal itself up above at some point. And the same thing is true in our faith, in our understanding of faith. If there's a flaw in the foundation of our belief or in our understanding of what faith is or isn't, sooner or later, that flaw will reveal itself in our lives. I often have marveled at the predictability of how this works. I've spent a lot of time working with teenagers, and, and I don't think that it's any surprise that with teenagers, the, the, those years are the years in which so often their faith begins to be shaken. It's once you hit those teenage years where you have all the pressures of culture and relationships and your future and life starts to weigh down on your shoulders and there's enough built up on that foundation that for many teenagers, they've never examined the foundation of their faith. It's always just been mom or dad's faith or grandma or grandpa's faith. It's never been my faith. And so, so many teenage students, it's, it's very predictable. They hit an age where if they refuse to examine the foundations of their belief, that's the age at which it begins to crumble for them. And so we must examine the foundations of our faith. We have to. Now, today we're going to continue on in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at the life of Abraham and Sarah. We're going to look in Hebrews 11 and then in Genesis 12, and if we have time, in Genesis 17 as well. So uh, we worship in spirit and in truth, right? I want you to take your notes out if you haven't got them yet. And we're going to take these notes into our small groups. We're going to discuss it. We're going to pray over these things. So Hebrews eleven eight, starting here, we read that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was received he was to receive as an inheritance. Okay, so I want you to repeat after me. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Abraham obeyed. Good. By faith, Abraham 
obeyed. This is, this is an important, so what did Abraham obey exactly? He was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. We read about that in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Now, Abraham's story is very long in Genesis, so if you want the whole thing, you should, you should do a lot more reading than just this, okay? But here's what we read in 12, 1 through 5. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Abram used to be Abraham's name until God renamed him, Go from your country and your kindred, that's your family, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Here's the first thing that I want us to see and learn about faith with Abraham and Sarah today. And it's really simple. It's that Abraham and Sarah obeyed. Abraham and Sarah obeyed. Faith involves, by faith, they obeyed. Faith involves an aspect of obedience in our life. In fact, some would say that this is maybe one of the most difficult aspects of faith is that it requires obedience. But Abraham and Sarah, by faith, they obeyed. They, they took a trip. God appeared to Abram and they took a trip from a place called Haran, down to Canaan or modern day Israel. But before that trip, they took a trip from, if you look in chapter four or if you look in, or chapter 11, or if you look in um, Acts chapter seven, you see that before that they left from a place called Ur, which was in Mesopotamia out to the east to Haran. Ur to Haran is 600 miles. Okay, that's a long walk, isn't it? I try to walk about, you know, five miles a day and I'm exhausted. 600 miles, that's wild. And then God comes and he says, go from Haran down to Canaan, 400 more miles. Just to give you an idea, from Columbus to Chicago is about 325 miles. So Abram and Sarah have to gather up all of their stuff. They sell all their possessions. They put it, I don't know, on like some sort of, probably a camel or something. I guess you don't, they don't say. And, and they travel with all of their family and all of their possessions and their livestock and their tents and they pack it all up and they walk 400 miles down to Canaan by faith in obedience. I've been trying to think of what a modern day equivalent of that type of obedience would look like. Like if God told me, if God came to me and he said, David, sell your house, sell your business, Sell everything that you own. Pack up your kids, and I want you to walk to Chicago. I'm giving you Chicago and Milwaukee. I'll even give you the lake, right? First of all, I would say, God, do you have anything maybe down in South Carolina, that you, Texas, something a little warmer? But, but, but I, that would be a very difficult step of obedience. Do you guys agree? I mean, that'd be a huge step of obedience, and I also struggle with the idea that God has never audibly spoken to me. I feel like maybe if God speaks to me audibly, I'd be more likely to obey sometimes. But for Abram and Sarai, 
There was no scripture, right? The only way that God spoke to them was audibly or through dreams or through messengers. And so when God spoke, he obeyed. And it was shown that it actually was God speaking because God did the things that he had promised to do. Eventually, Abraham did get the things that God had promised to him. And so God demonstrated that that's who he was. So for us who, we don't have the luxury of God audibly speaking to us. I often wish I did. God, what am I supposed to do in this situation? God, I'm so exhausted. I, I don't know what decision to make. God, what, what do you want from me? I wish that God would just come down and answer. But that's not how it works. And yet, faith requires obedience. Faith and obedience are interchangeable. But the cool thing is that we do have God's word for us. We have the scripture written down from Genesis to Revelation, the whole story, not just the little piece that Abraham and Sarah got to see. We get to see all of it. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is not, man, if I was in Abraham's place, would I obey what God called me to do? The question is, do I obey God when he calls me to do the things that he calls me to do now? Because I often read scripture and I run into a difficult passage Something like God saying, hey, you need to forgive your enemies. Bless those who curse you. And I say, I don't think so. God, I don't trust you with that. God, I'm not going to obey that one. Now, I'll also admit that sometimes I run into mildly inconvenient things in Scripture and choose also not to obey. And so for many of us, we're waiting for God to audibly speak or we're waiting for God to call us from, from on this, this massive journey or to call us to this big major piece in his kingdom. And yet we need to ask ourselves first, how do we do obeying the things that he's already called us to do in scripture? Jesus says in Matthew 28, not only should we go and make disciples, but we have to teach them to obey all the things that he's commanded. That's faith. Obedience is faith. How are we doing in our obedience? I think that, you know, for me, that, that question is, it's, it's, it's what reveals to me the state of my faith. Am I trusting God with generosity when he commands me to be generous? Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Be so generous with your finances in the kingdom of God. Be so generous that you don't think about it. You're not weighing it out. You're not like questioning it. You just, you give. Is my faith, is my faith reflected in that? Is it reflected in things like praying for those who are in authority over me? Man, I get so mad about politics sometimes or so angry about people abusing, but I don't pray for those people in the way that I should. My faith is reflected in obedience. And the last thing that I'll say about this, because I know I'm, I'm talking about it a lot, the last thing that I will say is we may wish that God would appear to us and call us on this massive journey to sell everything that we have, to go be a missionary, to walk from Haran to Canaan, 400 miles. But man, if we're not willing to just pick up a cell phone and text a friend to invite them to meet Jesus... God's not going to call us to do these massive things 
Obedience starts with small steps and it becomes bigger. And I think that, I think that we can assume that in the life of Abram. We don't hear much about Abraham before God calls him. But here's what we know. When God called, he knew that that was God. When God called, he knew that it was God's voice. We talked last week about faith not being blind trust. Faith does involve knowledge. Faith involves knowledge. It involves a a growing knowledge of who God is. I know that many of us come initially to the cross without feeling like we know enough answers, and that's fine. Like, we can place our trust in Christ, but our, our knowledge about Jesus will grow and continues to grow throughout our Christian life. I remember this. I am old enough to remember when phones were connected to walls. We got anybody else in here old enough? Remember when phones were connected to walls? I remember walking to my, not walking, but walking into my grandparents' house one day, and my grandpa liked gadgets. Like, my granddad liked, like, new stuff. And I walked in, and, and I saw that he had a new phone. It was cordless, which was pretty fancy at that point. But also, when someone would call, there would be, like, a phone number and a name on a little tiny screen. It blew my mind. Because for all of you in here who are, like, well, younger than me, you used to have to make a phone call, and the first thing you did was you'd identify yourself. Hi, this is David Palmer. Can I please speak to Jera? Right? You guys remember this. Or if you, you, would, if you knew somebody really, really well, you could pick up the phone and you could say, hey, it's me. You only had a couple of those relationships, right? Hey, it's me. Every once in a while, someone would use an it's me on you, and it you didn't know who it was, and it was kind of embarrassing, but hey, it's me was a sign of knowledge. When God called Abraham, he knew it was him. It's, that speaks to a life that has been spent in pursuit after God. When God called to Abraham, he knew that it was God who was calling to him. And so how do we find that same sort of knowledge or that same sort of intimacy? Well, for us, it starts by knowing to listen for God's voice, by daily reading scripture, daily reading our Bibles and meditating on it. You want to hear from God. You want to grow in your faith. You want to know what it looks like. You need to open up your Bible and learn to recognize God's voice so that when he speaks and says, hey, it's me, you know exactly who it is that's talking. We also learn and our knowledge about God grows through the preaching of God's word. I'm glad that you guys are all here. This is something that, that has made an, a massive impact in my life, just the preaching and the explaining of God's word. We grow in our knowledge through time that we spend in prayer, through podcasts and books. There has never been a better opportunity to grow in our knowledge about who God is. And as we grow in our knowledge of who God is, our faith should grow as well. But I do want to say this important caveat, okay? Because although knowledge is a part of faith, our faith ultimately has to be in God and not in our knowledge. I know that that's a subtle difference, but it's, it's so important. We don't place our faith in knowledge. We place our faith in a, a personal God, a God who knows you, 
a God who was shown to us, who walked the earth as Jesus Christ. That's who we place our faith in. I've met some people who, who just wish that they knew a little bit more before they placed their faith in Christ. Have you ever met anybody like this? And they've read the books and they've listened to the apologetics and they've weighed both sides of the argument and they've, they've listened to the sermons and the podcasts and they've tried to gather as much knowledge as they can gather, but they've never quite been able to get to a place where they've placed their faith in God. I've always liked to think about it like this, like you can sit around a swimming pool. If you go to the big splash, you can sit around that pool. You could take notes watching, uh, you know, man, the water might be a little cold today. Kids are running in and out fast. It looks like water clings to your skin a little bit. Okay, water soaks hair. I see that now. Um, Okay, you use a towel to dry it off. All right, water. It looks refreshing. You kind of float in it. You can make all the observations and all the, you know, you can figure out all the facts about water that you can, but eventually you have to jump in the pool to know what it's like to be wet. And with faith, you can try to get all the knowledge about God and you can try to read all the books, but eventually faith involves jumping into that pool. And we'll never be 100% sure before we get there. Otherwise, it's not faith at that point. It took me six years to propose to Jarrah. Six years. That's a long time. I knew when I was 16 that I wanted to marry her. I knew it. I remember praying in my basement, God, I I know this is the one. I'm begging you, let me marry this girl. Looking back now, it was kind of crazy. But over the next six years, I only got to know her better and better and better and better. And yet when I was 22, my hands were sweating a little bit with that ring in it. And there's a little thing in the back of my mind that's saying, well, how do you know that you know that you know that you know that she's the one? For me, 99.2% sure was enough to pop the question. Like, we don't have to get to 100% sure in order to place our faith in God. Faith does involve knowledge, but we don't place our faith in our knowledge. It goes where it belongs, which is in Christ. Anyway, we got to move on here. Hebrews chapter 11, we've, that was all on one verse. We've got more verses to go. Abraham and Sarah obeyed, and now we read in 9 through 12, by faith, he, being Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. We see in Hebrews 11, number one, we see that faith requires obedience. Abraham and Sarah obeyed. But what we see in verses 12 or or 9 through 12 is that Abraham and Sarah, they stayed. They stayed. I think that often, you know, we, we think that the first step of obedience, the first step of obedience feels the hardest, doesn't it? 
Sometimes that first step off the couch to get into a new workout routine, that first step to, to get up on Sunday to go to church, that first time going, you know, setting the alarm real extra early for extra time with the Lord, that, that feels so important. And it is, it is important, that initial step of obedience. But what impresses me and what the author of Hebrews wants us to see is that not only did they obey, but they stayed. They stayed. In Genesis 17, God gives these promises to Abraham. He says that you're going to have land. He's going to give him a promised land, a, a land that will be his, the land of Canaan, which would later be known as Israel. He's going to give him offspring. And to a 75-year-old man with no kids, that seemed like a big deal, right? Same with his wife, Sarah. God said those offspring would be more numerous than the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And he said, thirdly, that he would make a covenant blessing with him, a covenant with Abraham that through Abraham's line, all of the world would be blessed. Essentially, what that was saying is that Messiah will be one of your ancestors, one of your children, one of your offspring. God made those three promises to Abraham, land, offspring, and covenant blessing. And yet, it says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham and Sarah lived in tents their whole life. Why is that? Why did Abraham and Sarah live in tents? Why, why, did, they, why did they not build foundations? Why didn't they build a city? Abraham was wealthy. He was rich. Well, Abraham and Sarah weren't trying to they weren't trying to do anything but look forward to the promises that God had for them. And until God gave them those promises, they were just going to keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And they waited a long time, didn't they? For those of you who know Abraham and Sarah's story, they waited a long time for kids. Their story was not without bumps along the way either. They made some massive mistakes. They made uh, huge, huge mistakes in their life. They weren't perfect and yet ultimately, what I want you to see is they didn't give up. Everyone around them must have been thinking, man, these guys are rich. They're, they've got livestock. They're wealthy. They've got tons of servants. And why don't they just buy a piece of land and build themselves a town? But Abraham and Sarah were looking for something different. And for those of us who are following Christ, man, my encouragement to you today is simple, and it's this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't stop following after Christ. Don't stop opening scripture and listening for his voice. Don't stop learning and growing. Don't stop when God calls you to forgive and you struggle to forgive. Don't stop trying to forgive. When God calls you to serve and you struggle to serve, don't stop trying to serve. So many of us start well and then we stop too soon. So many of us start to, start to serve, and then after a few weeks, we, we give up. We start going to small group, and after a few weeks, we give up. We start giving, and then uh, an unexpected bill hits, and we stop giving. We, we think that, that so much depends upon the starting, but the truth is real impact comes from the staying. Obedience over time. Don't give up. 
Just a couple more things. While, while, while I have struggled with this, there have been some truths that have helped me. When I'm discouraged, when things seem slow in coming, when I'm struggling, when I feel like God is, is not showing up on my schedule or my speed and, and I'm, I'm wavering in my faith a little bit, I think about two things. The first one is this. I think when I look at the life of Jesus, he is worthy of worship, isn't he? He is. We worship. We raise our hands. But he's also worthy of trust. And I often hear that voice. I often hear that voice that just says, trust me, David. Just trust me. I know you don't think that you can forgive this person. I know you don't think you can. Trust me. Have faith. Trust me. I know you don't think you can give like that, but trust me, have faith, you can. I know you don't think you can walk another mile. I, don't, I know you don't think that you can handle another setback, but man, Jesus is worthy of our worship and he's worthy of our trust. And the second thing that gives me so much hope and so much joy and so much peace is simply this, man, this world is not my home. This world is not my home. I used to love that hymn, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Does anybody know this one? My treasures are laid out for me way beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This world is not my home. And we see that Abraham and Sarah, out of everything, I love this part, verses 13 through 16, it says, for if the blood, I'm on the wrong verse here. Okay, let's try that. There it is, 13. Abraham and Sarah, this is, they died in faith, not having received the things that were promised. They were faithful to the end. They didn't get to see all the things that were promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the land from which they'd gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. And so God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This world is not our home. How can I walk in faith? How can I walk in the type of obedience that Abraham and Sarah had? Beyond that, how can I stay when the promises of God seem so slow in coming? Well, it's all about the recognition, like Abraham and Sarah, that, that even if I did build foundations, even if I did build a city, this world's not my home, and I'm much more looking forward to the one that Jesus is preparing for me in heaven anyway. How can you be generous? How can you serve? How can you be long-suffering? How can you be forgiving? Man, keep your eyes focused in the distance. Understand that what we do here is not just for here. It's also for later. Don't give up. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. You will receive your reward. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me this morning? 
Lord God, we just come to you knowing, God, that you are good, that your mercy endures forever. We look at the life of Abraham and Sarah. God, I marvel at their obedience to you. I marvel at the steps that they took in faith. God, give us that type of faith. Give that type of faith to us. Jesus, I pray that if there is anyone here today who has not placed their faith in you, that today would be that day. God, right now, that you would be at work in their life, that they would ask you right now, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. I place my faith and my trust in you. Lord, for those whose faith is wavering, for those who have questions, for those who are struggling, God, give them the hope of a reward with you in heaven, the reminder that you are worthy to be worshiped and to be trusted. And God, help us to walk in obedience, not just in the big things, but in the small things, trusting that you will use us for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.